Welcome to Simplify Your Retirement with Certified Financial Planner Stephen Strickland from Wise Wealth LLC. In this podcast, we help individuals and couples plan for a peaceful and enjoyable retirement. Join us on this journey where we explore the importance of simplifying the retirement planning process as Stephen, with his years of experience and expertise in retirement income planning, along with guest experts, will help you achieve first wisdom, then wealth. And don't forget to check out the Simplify Your Retirement online course and other great resources at SimplifyYourRetirement.com. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to Simplify Your Retirement with Stephen Strickland from Wise Wealth. Stephen, I am so excited to be back with you today. Thanks, Harry. It's great to be here. Seems like time is flying by. We're back at it again. Back at it again. And today we're talking about your behaviors. That's what I heard. Absolutely. At least. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Maybe not your well, when behaviors. But when it comes to investing, yes, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know that you you sent me a few notes, and, and it looks like we're going to be talking about investor behavior, biases, and maybe some behavioral finance, which I love to dive into because I'm, I'm kind of a geek like that. So okay. yeah, why did you pick this subject today? Well, yes, uh, behavioral finance definitely is something that is becoming more known out there. People are starting to look at this. And what what we're realizing is, is that investor behavior actually plays a major role in a, an investor's returns. You know, mm-hmm. most people, we look at the stock market, we look at portfolios, we look at prospectuses. There's a lot to worry about there. There's a lot to deal with there. There's a lot of information to have to sift through to be a successful investor, but then you add in the volatility of the stock market by itself. You take that, that's a concern, but then you add in the human element. Mm-hmm. And the human element is human emotions and the, the things that you know humans deal with, you add those two together. And that's really the basis for someone's investment results. It's it's how you respond, it's how you act, but it's also how the stock market acts. If we're just the stock market by itself, you know, that would be bad enough. <laughs> yeah. and difficult enough to try to get the returns we need. But then you add that into sometimes what, uh, you know, human nature is when it comes to investing. And then we've got to uh, really have to be aware of that. That's the main thing. What role does human behavior play into our investment results? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting because we we look at when, when my wife and I worked for an organization called Boys Town and, and raised kids there, we looked at what the antecedent to a behavior was. What causes that behavior? What is the trigger for that behavior? And I know that quite a few years ago, the big subject was the baby boomers that were affected by depression babies, right? So people mm-hmm. that had lived through the depression had this outlook and concern, and maybe there was some hoarding behavior or really hanging on to things or penny pinching to an extreme yep. because of that fear of, what could happen because they lived through something like the depression. Right. And I think it's going to be very interesting in the next 20 years, 10, 20, 30 yes. years to see what happens because of the pandemic, because of COVID, because of kind of how the world has changed over the last three to four months, what effect right. that has on those future generations. But so talking about behavior finance, a lot of behaviors are learned, right? Learned from their parents, right. learned from their environment, learned from their experiences. So I think right. this is a highly important subject that you're bringing up today. And I, I'm really excited to get into it. So where do we start today? Yeah, thank you. And uh, yeah, I, I agree. It's very relevant. And I think someone's history and experience and uh, upbringing and all those kinds of things definitely play into it for sure. Mm-hmm. One thing that I think is interesting coming through this whole, you know, we're still obviously in the middle of uh, COVID-19 and coronavirus and uh, dealing with that from a health crisis standpoint, but also from the stock market. And 
in March, in April, you know, especially March, the stock market went really down. And really since then, the market's come back up. One thing that's been remarkable to me and a lot of people that are interested in behavioral finance and investor behavior is the fact that this time it was different. Everyone always thinks, hey, every time the stock market goes down, it's, it's always this time it's different. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have to tell people that everyone always thinks this time it's different. But in this particular case, something was different. And a lot of times people are looking at what does the average investor out there who's doing it on their own, what are they doing when the market's going down? And normally when the stock market is volatile and it's unknown, what happens is the average investor who's doing things on their own, they typically start getting out of the market. Mm-hmm. But something happened this year during you know the pandemic, and that is this time the, the, nor- the average investor, people doing it on their own, stayed invested. Really? And I thought that was a very positive thing. And I think, honestly, that's one of the things that I think made the stock market more resilient this time. And I think it is because of people's history in the past. And that is in the past when people have panicked, uh, you know, maybe 2008, 2009, they got out of the market when the market was down and they didn't know when to get back in. They missed mm-hmm. all the upside. Mm-hmm. And I think this time people are actually afraid of missing the upside. People are afraid of missing, you know, not knowing when to get back in. Interesting. So I never would have guessed that. I, Right. I thought it was very interesting watching the flows of you know the average investor. This time people stayed disciplined and I think it really made a big difference. And and I think that's because though people have learned from the past that you really can't time it. Either you should be invested or not, you should be long term or not. And hopefully people are getting that message because that that's extremely important. Mm-hmm. For sure. So when it comes to investor behavior, you know, it, it's really important because investor behavior affects the returns. And that's because the average investor, when I say the average investor, what I mean by that is someone who does investing on their own. They don't have a financial advisor. They're not, they don't have a financial planner. They're, they just say, I'm, I'm a do-it-myself investor. They may go to Vanguard. They may go to Fidelity. They may go to E-Trade, you know, whatever the case may be, and they want to do it on their own. Sometimes people will say to us, you know, we, we charge 1%. You know I mean? That's our starting fee. We can go lower from there depending on the assets that we manage. We charge 1% of the assets that we manage, Right. And so some people look at that and they say, well, you know, I can save a 1% fee. I can do this on my own and uh, I'll save that 1% fee. But we always tell our clients that it, sometimes it costs a lot more than what you pay in a fee mm-hmm. to do it on your own. Mm-hmm. Okay. It may cost you 2 to 3% in returns every year to save you a 1% fee. Is that really worth it? And Vanguard has a great study that's out there. It's called Advisor Alpha. And, and what that means, they've done a study, and what I love about the study is Vanguard doesn't have a vested interest in anybody using an advisor. You can go to Vanguard directly. You don't need to have an advisor to buy Vanguard, but they did a study, and they quantified the value of a financial advisor that keeps people disciplined, mm-hmm. uh, that keeps people looking at investments long-term, and they have historical data. People that own Vanguard funds that are using an advisor and people that buy Vanguard funds who don't have an advisor. And what's a very interesting about that study is they say the people that with an advisor, their returns are two to 3% higher than the people that don't have an advisor and they're all using the same funds. Yeah. Wow. So how is that possible? That is possible because people that have an advisor who are telling them, you know, having a mix of assets that is based on a plan that is diversified can really help people to do what's very difficult to do, especially when the stock market is volatile, and that is to stay disciplined. It's worth a few percentage points every year in returns. Yeah. So, you know, that's just one example. Mm. Yeah, that, that's great. Yep. 
So we're looking at investor behavior and bias. You know, we're talking about a couple of things. One is fear and greed. You know, we always tell our clients, don't make any investment decisions based on fear or greed. You, you tend to make a mistake when you do that. Some people, you know, advertise, you know, fear. You know what I mean? You shouldn't be invested mm -hmm. in this. You shouldn't be doing this because this, that, and the other is going to happen. You know what I mean? That's one thing and people get scared. And so they buy a product or they make an investment because they're afraid. Yeah. Other people, you hear, you know, ads on the radio or TV that this is the greatest investment ever. You should own this. You know what I mean? This one never fails. This one you can get in on the ground floor. You know what I mean? No one's buying this thing right now. You know what I mean? Th those kinds of things. And so it's greed. And can I, so I, a I, lot I, of I can speak to that yeah. real, real okay. quick, Stephen. And <laughs> right. unfortunately, that's that's kind of how we find our examples is, is real life examples. And mm -hmm. my parents lost quite a bit in the market because uh, – my uncle had this surefire thing, and, and he's very wealthy, has done very, very well in business, very uh, brilliant man, uh, mm -hmm. but he was wrong on this one. And uh, I, I won't say how much my parents lost, but they played the stock market a bit. They bought this mm -hmm. specific company because it was a surefire thing kind of, kind of thing, and they actually were kind enough to gift myself and my sister, I believe, $2,000 of this stock each. Mm -hmm. And that was way back, I want to say probably mid nineties. Right. Mm -hmm. And Stephen, uh, over the next five years or so watched that stock. I didn't touch it. I didn't do anything right. with it because I didn't know anything at that time. I really just, Oh great. I have this stock and that's all I know about it. Right. The, the last time I had checked on it, it was at $73. Oh man. Right. And so they didn't yep. lose, they didn't lose just a couple thousand dollars. My parents right. lost a huge amount of their retirement savings and it yes. altered their retirement forever. But that was in, were they chasing something? Yeah. They, they were kind of thinking that this was a sure bet. This is really good advice and a good decision. And, and, uh, they didn't, right. They weren't using well, a planner yeah. for sure. So that's tough. Absolutely. Those kinds of stories. Yeah. You, you, you hate hearing those kinds of stories, but you know, your parents are not alone. You're not alone. I mean, everybody is probably at some point in time made an investment decision based on greed, and it normally ends off in the same way. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's the sad part. But nobody who makes an investment decision based on greed thinks at the time that it's a bad decision. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it sounds so good. You know, sometimes people will come to us with, you know, different investment ideas, you know, Iraqi coins or, you know, some exotic mm -hmm. investment out there that no one knows about. And this is, you have to do this now, you know what I mean? And all these kinds of things. And it's, it's cheap to a certain extent. And so you realize that you know, all it would have to do is return X amount. I'm going to be a multimillionaire. So, you know what I mean? But people, it's easy to fall prey to this because no one does it and thinks, oh, this is a gamble. They think it actually is going to be something that works. Mm -hmm. And that's why it really comes down to planning. Again, you know, pretty much, you know, that's the answer to a lot of these investor behavior issues. So in other words, if there's an investment opportunity that comes available and you feel like it appeals or it feeds your greed, you know, that we all have inside of us, you have to look at it and say, where does this fit inside my plan? Does it, you know, does it fit for my liquidity needs? Does it fit for my income needs? Does it fit for my growth needs? You have to figure out where it fits and then make your decisions based on that. Not because it's a home run, not because it's a surefire thing, not because it's guaranteed not to fail. Those are not the reasons to make those decisions. Same thing on fear. Sometimes people want to go, you know what I mean? Should, should we buy all gold? I mean, it, you know, there's different people that have different products that they're selling or they're they're promoting 
And so it, they make it sound incredible, like it's the best investment in the world. And maybe it can fit in their portfolio or in a plan, but it doesn't mean you should take everything you have and put it into that investment. That's where people go wrong. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we have to watch out for definitely is fear and greed because that can really derail your returns. It can derail your retirement planning for sure. So fear and greed. Another one that we see is confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is one of these where people tend to find research or find studies that tend to agree with what they already believe. Ah, gotcha. And what I mean by that is, you know, there are some people, you know, there's different products out there. There's bank products, there's gold, uh, there is, you know, annuities, there's life insurance, there's stock market investing. So some people who think, you know what, the stock market is a casino, it's gambling. When they do their research online, it looks like the stock market is casino and gambling. They don't find anything positive. It's amazing because they already believe this way. Mm -hmm. And some people who believe that annuities and insurance companies are a ripoff, they look online and it's amazing what they find. Annuity companies are a ripoff and insurance is all about the, you know, so my point is you need to be open-minded. Even though you have to watch out for fear and greed, we just said people, you know, once you get closer to retirement, there may be is gold a good investment? I don't know. Gold is not a good investment or a bad investment. It just depends. Does it fit in your plan? Mm-hmm. If you want to, there are positives and negatives. There's benefits and limitations to every single investment. Okay. So if we're looking at the stock market, if I, if I believe in the stock market, when I do my research, I'm going to find everything positive about the stock market. If yeah. I don't, I can find things that confirm my bias. Yeah with yep. every investment with every product and so it's important for people to be open-minded well i'll give an example sometimes you know most of our investment life we don't need an annuity to me an annuity is it's all about income it's a guaranteed lifetime income so there's a point in time in someone's investment life where we might recommend an annuity you know maybe during their preservation phase or during their distribution phase but not not during most of their investment life And so when you introduce maybe, let's say, an annuity policy to someone, their confirmation bias automatically says, well, wait a minute, I've I've invested in the stock market my whole life. I thought annuities were not good. Well, no, there's no such thing as an annuity is not good. It may be an annuity may not be the right fit for someone in their 30s or 40s, but it may fit for someone in their 60s. -hmm. Those kinds of things. So you just have to be open-minded. Look at the investment. Realize in every investment, in every product, there are benefits. There are limitations. There is you know, positive things about them. There's negative things about them. And just to remain open-minded and not just say, nope, I'm going to only do the stock market, for example. Because then you get into what we talked about in one of our previous podcasts, and that is sequence of returns risk. And mm-hmm. there's other risks associated with just sticking with what you already believe to be true. Yeah. Yeah. I I think a good example of this is politics, right? If you're on the far left, the right is always lying and the left is always correct. And you can find any article to back whatever, (laughs) whatever happened in the news, you can find it, you know, to skew it your way. Same thing. If you're on the far right, right, the far left is always lying and the far right is always right. And I'm going to find articles that are going to back up my point of view. And that's where arguments just don't ever work, (laughs) you know? Exactly. Yeah. And and that's a good example because obviously there's research that shows the opposite of what you believe is true. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's like we, we tend to find what we already believe. So I think when it comes to investing and making decisions, especially as you're closer to retirement, you just need to be open-minded to what is, what is available. Another investor behavior issue is, is a term that we call anchoring. Mm. And anchoring is really when someone holds a stock – and I'm not going to pick on you, Eric, 
But you know, you just mentioned one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you actually, I didn't think about this, but that's a good example. Someone holds on to a stock because they got it from their parents. I mean, you're still yep. holding on to the stock. It's worth seventy three dollars a share. No, um, no, seventy three dollars so, total, oh. <laughs> not per share. Seventy three dollars <laughs> okay. total. Seventy three dollars. So you look at that, and you know, you have to look at this and say, if I had seventy three dollars today, would you buy that stock? If the answer is no, then take the seventy three dollars and do something different with mm-hmm. it. You know what I mean? So where I see anchoring come in, I see it in one of two areas. One time people, and sometimes people will inherit a stock from their parents. And, you know, the parents will say, look, this stock is, you know, paid these dividends and it's been a great stock for me. And so the kids inherit the stock and they don't want to sell it mm-hmm. uh, because it has an emotional value. And, and I'm not saying it doesn't have an emotional value, but you, you have to decide whether or not that monetary value of that stock position realize that's what your parents gave you exactly uh, the gift they gave you was the the money forget the stock that it was in what should you do with that money and that's obviously a major decision you know based on your needs and goals and that kind of stuff but don't just hang on to it because you inherited it mm-hmm. another place i see this is when someone has a 401k and inside their 401k is a you know maybe 25 to 50 percent is in their company stock one stock you yeah. don't believe the number of times that i see this and i think okay you know i know you work for this company and it's a great company but you, could you imagine coming to me as a financial planner and i said to you okay here's your portfolio i'm going to take your portfolio let's say it's a hundred thousand dollars i'm going to take half of it and i'm going to put it in a diversified portfolio and i'm going to take the other half and we're going to buy one stock mm. You would look at that and say, that is odd. You know, why would you do that? Why would you take half the money and put it in one stock and half it? You know what I mean? But that's what people do a lot of times in their 401ks. They have way more of a percentage allocation to one company stock than they would if it was anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And so you just have to watch out for that. So anchoring is one place where we see people make a mistake, holding on to a stock that they shouldn't hold on to confirmation bias you know not being open to other ideas fear and greed is is one that we talked about today and then really it comes down to making investment decisions as a result and there's a company out there called dalbar they're just a research firm and what dalbar does is they look every year at the previous 20 years so every year they come out with a report of what did the stock market return how did the s p 500 perform and then how did the average investor perform? Hmm. And I mentioned earlier, the average investor just means an investor who does who does it on their own. So they'll look at clients' portfolios that have $100,000 or more in the portfolio and people who are not do not have an advisor, they're just investing on their own. And every year, Eric, when this report comes out, I look at this re- report and we look at, you know, what did the indexes do? What did different asset classes do? And then one of the charts is what did the average investor do? And based on December 31st, 2019, the last report they did, they looked at the 20 years previous, basically 1999 to 2018. During those 20 years, obviously in the early 2000s, the market was down. 2007, 2008, the market was down. But for the most part, ever since you know 2009, a couple of blips in between, the market has been you know solid, mm-hmm. right? Bull market, you know, basically from 2011, 2008 yeah. to 2018. So you look at the historical returns. This is amazing to me. For a 20-year period, 1999 to 2018, the S&P 500 has averaged 5.6%. Now, again, when I say the average annual rate of return, you and I know, because we've talked about this, 
in a previous podcast that that does not mean what the, exactly. the average and the investor would have received. Yeah. That is the average of the S and P. But this is important. I, you know, I'm going to make a point here about the S P 500. Obviously, that's just one asset class, U.S. large companies. But the thing that people have to realize is is that the stock market the last 20 years, with these major swings in it, the average is still only 5.6% per year on the S&P hmm. for 20 years. And so you, people need to be taking on risk in order to get the return they need because you have to at least beat inflation. But it's yeah. probably not done as well as people you know assume that it has. Real estate has done really good during that period of time and, you know, other commodities and things. And that, that changes, you know, all the time. But, but my point of even mentioning this report is because they always show what the S&P 500 did over the 20 years. They always show what a 60-40 portfolio, 60% stocks, 40% bonds. That average was 5.2% per year. And then the average investor, you know, you want, you want to know what their average annual rate of return is from oh. 1999 to 2018. Oh, boy. One point nine percent. Oh my gosh! Seriously, one point. These are real returns. Yeah, the real average is one point nine. So how can the S and P five hundred average five point six? A sixty forty portfolio, if you just stuck with it, would average you know that's sixty percent stocks, forty percent bonds, average five point two. But the average investor earned one point nine. And yeah. most of them are doing it because they want to save a 1% fee. But the average investor, 1.9, and you have to ask yourself, how is that possible? Same investment conditions, same investment market, same investments available to choose from. The, the only difference in the returns is the person you look at in the mirror every morning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the only you know, difference is the human behavior, human emotions. And so what happens to the average investor during that 20-year period of time means that some of them probably got out of the market, you know, when the market was at a low point in 2008 mm -hmm. and got back in when it was too late. You know, they, most investors who do it on their own tend to get in the market and get out. Yeah. Yeah. They want to overweight. They want to underweight. They try, they try to outperform. They try to pick the winners uh, and they're constantly moving money around. And the reality is it just doesn't work. The best thing that someone can do is make sure you you invest money that you have a, a long time frame for five years or longer, and that you have a diversified portfolio that minimizes risk as much as possible, and you stay with it. I'm amazed, you know, even with people that have you know advisors, you know, we're constantly reminding our clients, you need this money five years or longer. You know, the best thing we can do is do nothing. The portfolio that you're in is built and mm -hmm. constructed to be long term. We knew when you, when we build a portfolio and that in order to get the returns we want, there are going to be years where it's negative. There's going to be years where it's going to be volatile, but over time, we're going to end up with one of the higher positive annual rates of return with less risk. It always feels better. You know, so when someone is getting in the market and getting out of the market, or if they feel like, you know what, it's, it's getting too volatile, I just want to get out. It always feels good to do something, it feels like, oh, okay, I missed out on the big drop. But if you also are not in for the big gain, you mm -hmm. end up still with a less return just by, than by staying in. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are actual, those are just the facts. I mean, you have to be right both times. You have to, you know, get out at the right day. <laughs> you also have to get back in on the right day and no one can predict either one of those two days. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. If you miss the best five to 10 days in the stock market during a given year, you miss out on the majority of the returns for that year. So my advice for people is always you either got to be in or out. You I mean you have to either be believe in the stock market and have the time frame to invest this money long term, five years or longer, or you don't. You can't let elections, you cannot let, you know, short term cycles, you can't allow this thought process of this time it's different. All these things that every time there's a there's a market crash or a market correction of twenty percent or more. This is what we hear. This time it's different. You know, we should get out. You know what I mean? All these kinds of things. But ultimately, the best thing you can do to be successful is to stay disciplined and stay in it for the long haul. We can see the results right here every year, even in a 60-40 portfolio, or even just buying a stock market index and staying with it. It's easier said than done. I'm a financial planner. You know, we, we manage hundreds of millions of dollars of our clients' assets. And certainly, there are times where the market's going down where even I'm tempted to say, oh man, you know, maybe we should do something different. <laughs> maybe we should, you know, get in, maybe we should get out. But I, I know deep down in my soul that that is not the right thing to do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. The right thing to do is to maintain discipline. Let each, let each of the asset classes do what they do over long periods of time. And that is they all end up with positive returns. So we let them all go and do what they do long-term. It's very important. And, and I, I think the most important piece of that is is having somebody to talk to about it. Because right. if we're just watching our own finances, watching our own portfolios, we're doing our own investing, there's no one that we're able to have as an anchor, That's right. if you will, or to be able to say, hey, look, it's going to be okay. This is right. what we've experienced before. Right. Because uh, bottom line is that I'm not an expert in this. I don't do this right. for a living. And right. I'm I'm busy working. I'm busy making income for my future, for my family, right. taking care of my family, taking care of my grandkids, having a good time. This last weekend, Stephen, we went to a waterfall. It was fantastic. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to think about this kind of stuff because exactly. I work with somebody who does all the thinking for me. <laughs> so right. It's hard to say it that way, but that's truly, true. you know, if I have concerns, I can I can call them up and talk to them. Right. And I know that that's what you provide for your clients all the time. Right. So that's, do, do you have any other closing thoughts for today's podcast before we give the listeners some contact information so they can reach out and say, hey, look, I, I would love to talk to you about this. Yeah, absolutely. And what I thought I would do is just share, you know, an example of an email that I received from, you know, someone here recently during stock market volatility. And the title of the email said, do I need a more defensive posture? Hmm. Good question. <clears throat> right. Good question. Do I need a more defensive posture? And he said, Stephen, given the falling earnings and the rising COVID-19 cases, should we become more defensive than we currently are positioned? So that was kind of the premise of his question. He had a few other things in there. And so the first paragraph that I sent back to this person was, our philosophy is that your time frame should be the primary determinant to how your portfolio should be allocated rather than current events. Mm -hmm. And so I went on, you know, obviously more detail in specifics with this individual that wrote me that question, but that's, that's a normal question for someone to have in their mind. Yeah. Hey, you know, coronavirus is still out there. I feel like earnings estimates are going to be down. Should we do something different? Well, no. Do you need the money this year for income? Do you need the money next year for income? Do you need the money next year to for a short-term expense? If you do, yes, we should do something different. We always will get more defensive. We can get more conservative if you need the money for income or you have a short-term expense in the next three to five years, a known or plain. Yes, then we need to do something different. But we don't need to do something different just because earnings might be off this quarter. We don't need to do something mm -hmm. different only because all of a sudden coronavirus hit us or there's an election this year. 
what we know is that this portfolio is built for the long term. It includes all the ups and downs. So therefore, no, we don't make investment decisions based on current events. And I know people sometimes hear that and they think, well, no, you know what I mean? You should be doing more than that. You should be watching these things. But the reality is we're looking at the long-term results. We want the best rates of return for our clients. And we know that the best rates of returns for our clients is staying disciplined and not getting into timing yeah. based on current events. So your time frame when you need access to whatever portion of those assets should be the primary determinant how your money is invested, not current events. That's extremely important. The nice thing is with, with that is that I know that you have strong relationships with your clients. You're already talking to them about that whenever you guys are meeting, whether that's annually or mm -hmm. biannually, quarterly, however you're meeting with your clients, you're asking those questions about life, right? What right. do you have coming up? What's going on? Oh, you know, my, exactly. we, we just found out, hey, Stephen, we just found out my daughter's getting married. So blah, 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 blah. So mm -hmm. obviously right. now, now we know that we have about a two-year time frame, hopefully. Maybe she's not rushing it. <laughs> you know, right. two-year time frame that we're going to contribute to her wedding. And we want to be able to to give her $25,000 or we, we're going right. to pay $50,000 for this wedding or whatever. But that had nothing to do with the pandemic. That had nothing to exactly. do with the coronavirus issue. Those are conversations well, you're already having with your clients just to find out how life is. What's going on? What's, exactly. what's the good news, right? So, Right. You're exactly right. Fantastic. Something like that, we would say, okay, therefore, with that money, Yep, we need to get more conservative. We need to do something different with that because you're going to need it. You have a specific time frame, a specific need. Mm -hmm. But you're exactly right. It comes down to those conversations, and that determines how the money should be invested for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, I'll just mention, in, you know, in closing, I know we're going to wrap this one up, but there are three ways to avoid getting in your own way when mm -hmm. it comes to, you know, getting your investor behavior in the way. Number one is make sure you do have a written plan. So then if you have a written plan, that will allow you to never make a decision based on fear or greed because mm -hmm. should, you should make all your investment decisions. So the third one is never make any investment decisions outside the context of a plan. So number one, have a written plan. Number two, don't make decisions based on fear or greed. Number three, never make any investment decisions outside the context of a plan. Where does it fit inside the plan? That will always help people avoid letting their behavior get in the way of their returns. All right. Fantastic. And as always, I want to provide the audience with an opportunity to reach out and talk to you and start this conversation. How do they get a hold of you? Thank you, Eric. Yeah. The best way to get a hold of us is through our website, which is wisewealth.com. It's www.wisewealth.com. There's a contact us link on that website. You can reach out to us there. Uh, that's a great way to do it. You can also call our phone number, which is area code 816-246-9473-816. 246-9473. Fantastic. Again, Stephen, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Eric. Great to be here. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Simplify Your Retirement podcast with Stephen Strickland. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Stephen comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Wise Wealth, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Simplify Your Retirement podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Wise Wealth LLC or Simplify Your Retirement. 
The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of a financial advisor or other qualified financial professionals with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.